This is the Yahoo Finance Sportsbook Podcast. All right, welcome back to Sportsbook. We are 10 weeks through the NFL season. Last week we had Mike Lombardi in here talking about the Patriots. And might as well continue the streak and talk again this week about the Patriots, specifically about head coach Bill Belichick, one of the most storied coaches in the league, of course, also controversial. You remember things like Spygate and other various issues. Uh, as a guy from Boston, I tend to brush those off, but I know that certain criticisms of the Patriots are legitimate. There is a big, juicy new book out all about Belichick. It's called Belichick, and the author, ESPN NFL writer Ian O'Connor, joins us today. Hi, Ian. Hey, Dan. How are Thanks you? Thanks for coming in. I'm great. Thanks. Uh, let's dive right in. You know, everyone kind of picked up on the juicy parts. They want to talk about the infighting in Foxborough between Brady, Belichick, and Kraft. I guess we can do that briefly. I'm interested in some other things, but but let's hit that right from the start. Specifically, you know, I believed some of what was reported. You know, your colleagues Don Van Natta and Seth Wickersham had a couple good scoops about it that caused a big furor in the league. Right. I mean, part of me was like, well, of course, as to the Brady and Garoppolo stuff, of course he was threatened by a, a young stud who might take over and, and didn't want him in town. That wasn't that shocking to me. But parts of the story, specifically that they argue over who deserves the most credit for the Super Bowls, that rang false to me. I mean, really? These guys are worried about credit? Yeah, I don't know if they're uh, that worried about credit. And, and I don't have in the book uh, any sort of debate between Belichick and Brady over who deserves more or something along those lines. I think what happened clearly was in the spring of 2014 when Garoppolo was drafted, Belichick decided this is the successor to Tom Brady. Okay, And as you know, being a Boston guy, being a Patriots fan, uh, from way back when, when you go back to Lawyer Malloy in the early 2000s, and every made man in Foxborough under Bill has been moved out of there a year early rather than a year late, right? So Tom Brady was on deck. He was next. So he definitely felt threatened by Garoppolo. That was his chosen successor. And to me, almost as great as the five rings, Brady outplaying and outperforming the Belichick system and becoming the first player to force Bill to keep him, in his mind, maybe a year or two or three or four extra as opposed to one year early, yeah. he's the only guy to ever do it, is one of his greatest accomplishments, wow. that Garoppolo was in place to take his job, and he outperformed the, the Belichick software, basically. That was not wow. in the software. And so I don't think it's really been about who deserves more credit for the five rings. I think it's... The conflict has been who's going to outlast the other, and I think Brady felt that Bill was ready to move on, and he was going to rage against that, and he did successfully. Well, and and speaking of outlasting the other, do you assume, especially having done all your research and interviews for this book, that uh, Belichick and Brady end their careers in tandem? And maybe two years ago when we thought Brady might end up not with the Patriots, that would be a different question. But now that it looks that way, that it looks that... You know, Tom Brady's going to end his career as a Patriot, most likely. Does Belichick retire at the same time as Brady? Well, I do believe, uh, Dan, that uh, Robert Kraft made it clear to Belichick before the trade of Garoppolo that Tom Brady will not be traded. Tom Brady will retire a Patriot, whether that's age 44, 45, 46, whatever. And I had a phone conversation with Brady last spring, or spring of 2017, where we were talking about 47 and 48, never mind 45. So he's going to play a number, in his mind, a lot more years, and I think maybe at a high level. The guy's unbelievable. He's a freak of nature. So I think he's going to retire a Patriot. The only plausible, well, there are two uh, plausible scenarios where Belichick doesn't retire as the head coach of the Patriots. I think the most plausible one is after they win ring number six, which I do think will happen at some point in the next couple of years. 
Belichick decides to go upstairs as the overlord of football operations. Josh McDaniels deserves a second opportunity to be a head coach. Belichick convinced him to not take the Indianapolis job to stay on board. Okay, and it didn't go so well for uh, Patricia. It did not. It did not. He got but, a couple wins now, but uh, yeah, 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 I don't yeah. know if I would want to be the guy to replace Belichick and Foxborough. But McDaniel right. seems to be willing to do that. He also Josh has a very good relationship with Brady. They're almost like brothers. So I could see Belichick winning one more ring and then saying, "Okay, Josh, it's yours. You finish it out with Tom, and I'll go upstairs." The only other thing that, and this may be just a fantasy, but it, it might be a 2% possibility is Belichick finishing his career with the Giants. And that's mm. the only job on the face of the earth I think he would consider other than the one he has or director of football operations above McDaniels. But I don't know if they'll go out together, but I, I suspect they will both finish with the Patriots. The reason I thought maybe Belichick wouldn't want to retire with Brady is all that does is seal for all of the sort of haters and skeptics the image that my success was thanks to this one guy. And I would think he'd want to prove I can win with a different quarterback. I don't, I don't just need Tom Brady. I, you know, There's that age-old debate about is he... Are the Patriots this good because they have the best coach or because they have the best quarterback? Now, obviously, it's never black and white, and it's probably both. Yeah, and I think it is both. And yeah. I think that Belichick would be worth an extra ring to all the very good quarterbacks in the NFL who, who've proven they, they can win a ring. In other words, I, I think there's no question Aaron Rodgers would have more than one with Belichick. I think Peyton Manning, who finished with two, would have had three with Belichick. On the flip side of that, I think if Brady played for a good very good but not great coach who could win one, I think Brady would give that coach an extra ring. So I really think they needed each other. It was a perfect partnership. It was transactional, not transformational. And there was no love there. They've never gone out to dinner. Uh, But that's okay. That's perfectly fine. And I think last year... It's It's a business relationship. Totally. And I think it caught up to them last year. It's the first... It's really amazing, Dan, to think that the pressure under which they operated every day in close quarters working together that it took 18 years before their partnership had a fracture in it that was seen publicly and i i was more taken by that than i was that there happened to be a fracture in the relationship so uh, i think they overcame it i think they survived a tumultuous moment in time the only one that they would have to survive and now i think they're going to be okay for the balance of their careers well Let's stick with that. You know, are they going to be okay for the rest of their careers? Because when you say you've spoken to Brady and he was talking about playing at age 47, 48, uh, I start to worry, well, when does it get awkward? Uh, specifically, you know, it's getting awkward for Eli Manning right now and the Giants. Right. Uh, you know, there was that, they benched him for that one game last season, and that was awful. And people said, okay, fire that coach. And they did, because that was sort of just insulting. I mean, that didn't accomplish anything. And yet, people say, well, gosh, they should have drafted a quarterback instead of Saquon Barkley. And it's getting awkward. I mean, he's he's sort of. He's not at the point where his brother was in the, in his final Super Bowl, where he was barely <laughs> hanging on, and the defense won that Super Bowl. I was and, at that game. And yeah, they carried bad. him. Yeah. But, uh, but Eli's you know, approaching his time when he's done. And I worry, I don't want to see a time as a fan where it starts to get sad and awkward, where everyone is forced to say, Ugh, and Brady wants to keep playing, and he could go to another team and do another two years, but not at peak performance. But maybe he's just such an anomaly that that will never happen. But do you see that situation coming? And Belichick won't like that. No, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think, uh, as people have talked about Brady falling off a cliff at some yes. point, it's just going to happen, right? I don't think that will happen. I, I think he is the greatest football player of all time for a reason. And, and I do think he's a bit of a freak of nature. And and with his workout regimen, his diet, and, and everything else, I think what's going to happen is, and it may be this year, actually, because I do think... He hasn't. He's been. He's been good and very good, but he hasn't been 
quite as good as he was last year. I think so. Instead of being the best quarterback in the league, I think this year he's one of the two or three best quarterbacks in the league. Right? How, the, how awful? God forbid. Yeah, exactly. Right, <laughs> and, and it's certainly good enough to win another championship. Next year, maybe he's one of the five best quarterbacks in the league. The year after that, maybe he's one of the six. The year after that, maybe he's one of the eight, and then he calls it quits, right? Because at eight, you're in the top 25% barely, and I don't think he's going to fall off a cliff, but I think there's going to be a very sort of gentle and slow erosion Ah. to where, okay, I'm now barely in the top 10, but still pretty good. That's it. And you trust that he'll know when to stop. Yeah, I think he's a very smart guy, a very prideful guy. And I think he'll see, you know, he's looked at Eli, and Eli's younger than Brady and certainly not as good as Brady, even though he beat him in two Super Bowls. Yeah. And he's like, I, I don't want any part of this, where this looks like 2-14 and 14 or Kyle Lawletta, God forbid, becomes the quarterback if he can stay out of jail <laughs> with his arrest in, uh, in Weehawken recently. So yeah. you don't want that to happen. Nobody wants to see that happen to Tom Brady, and I don't think it will. Or even what happened to Favre, where... You end up having to go to two other teams and play in each, you know, for one season or two seasons after the team that you're really going to be forever associated with. You know, that's although, sort of... although Favre did play well with the Jets until yeah. he got hurt, he was eight and three, and then his shoulder went on him. But then with Minnesota, he got he should have gotten to the Super Bowl. He threw that interception in the NFC Championship game. I don't think Brady wants to be that traveling man at age forty three, forty four. No. I think he survived it. I mean, so by the time the Patriots develop another quarterback who's ready to play and play at a high level, Brady will be ready to retire. Well, they better get one soon. That I guy's mean, not on the roster, yeah. right? So it's not, not they it's lost not be, Jimmy. Yeah, it's not going to be Brian Hoyer. No. So I, I think I think Tom actually has a clear path to 45 now. Then the question is, if you're still one of the five or six best, do you want to go to 46 and 47? You know, a lot of people, Dan, say that his wife is going to or is trying to talk him into retirement. I don't believe that's true. She had a greater dynasty and maybe still has, than he ever did. She was the top-earning supermodel in the world for something like 14, 15, 16 straight years, which is amazing. So she knows what... She's one of the few people on Earth who knows what it feels like to be Tom Brady, maybe even better than Brady at her profession. So I think she understands what it feels like to to live that, and she understands that you only get a certain amount of years to be that person. to be in a profession where you can't do what you do forever. Right, and to be the best in the world at it. So why would she talk her husband into retirement? I don't think that's going to happen. Do you think that if and when, because you think it's a when, they get the sixth ring, he stops then? Because I had said, you know, that to me, or no, I said it last season and then there was the awful loss. Um, I mean, it was a good game. I, I actually think, by the way, people overplay and over mock the performance there and they show that, you know, the, the trick play where he couldn't catch it. Right. Well, he, he's not a receiver. I mean, but, but anyway, um, before that Super Bowl, I was telling friends, gosh, if they win this one, not only is that number six for Brady, it's two in a row, back-to-back, which is incredible. And I would have thought he would have retired then, but then they didn't win it. But what if they win it this season or next season? Would he stop then? Because that would be earlier than you're predicting he will play until. Well, I'll, I'll say this, uh, Dan. I, uh, before the Super Bowl last year, I was on the phone with a, a good friend of Brady. And he said to me, you know, Tom said recently to me, if I if if I win it this year, that's three out of four for a second time, right? Three out of four right. from 2001 through the 2004 season, and then 13 years later to do it again. What a gap! That's unbelievable. Yeah. And he said that three out of four a second time would be a great way to go out. And I would think even if it's not now that it won't be that, but I would think you'd want to go out with the championship after winning a Super Bowl. I agree. The, the problem is he still has a desire to play. So if he wins six, let's say it's this year, okay? I, I don't know if they're going to win it this year. They still look a little thin to me, but they'll oh, be yeah. there. They'll be in that final four, Yep. and, and then who knows. But if it is this year, I, I think he believes he still has too much football left to pull the uh, plug on it. 
So I would say no. If he wins it this year or even next year, I think he's going to wow. look at number seven. And here's the thing. I think the greats keep score this way. If he gets to seven, he passes Michael Jordan. And you're saying, well, that's basketball. Who cares? I, I'm sorry. Well, you're looking now as Brady right there with Jordan among the greatest American sport team athletes we've ever seen. Um, yeah. I think number seven would look pretty good to him. Yeah, people still context. say Montana, and I just don't get it. No. They still say greatest quarterback, Montana. Uh, since we are talking about Brady's performance, and because a book on Belichick obviously in many ways ends up being so much about Brady, uh, talk to me a little bit about his trainer and all of the awkwardness there, Alex um, Guerrero. Guerrero. That has been such a sticking point. I know Edelman worked with Guerrero. Garoppolo reportedly did for a little and then either didn't want to or there was some kind of awkwardness there. But, boy, that has that clearly is a source of tension for the whole organization. And, you know, on one side you say, well, Brady's at the stature where if he has his own personal guru, who cares? Let him do whatever he wants. Bring him to every practice, you would think. But then the retort is, He's on a team, and that's not a guy who works for the team. And get him out of there. I've heard my brother, who's a, you know, an incredible big Boston sports fan, obsessive, and is about 11 years older than me. He he's sort of a zero tolerance on this topic. He says, you know, Guerrero has no place at the Pats organization. Well, Belichick let him in, so uh, Belichick was the one who allowed him to have an office at Gillette Stadium and to uh, train Brady. And so now what happened is it sort of grew into a situation where a source told me for the book that two-thirds of the roster was going up the hill. TB12 is right near Gillette Stadium. You just walk up this hill, and it's right there. (laughs) And two-thirds of the team was going up the hill to go see him. So that's a difficult thing. Plus, Guerrero's preaching things that maybe the uh, training staff, medical staff of the Patriots is not agreeing with. Mm, Pliability. Exactly. (laughs) And 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 Guerrero's more about pliability, flexibility, than power and strength, which is more of a Belichickian thing. Gronk made uh, Gronkowski made a catch against Pittsburgh last year in that big game they played in, I believe it was in December, at his toes. That I know Gronk told people, I would not have made that catch without Alex Guerrero's work. Oh, I did not see that. Yeah. Wow. I mean, he may not have said that on the record, but I know he's, he told more than one person that who told me and, and for the book. So it was getting away, it was spiraling away from Belichick's control, and he wanted to regain control. Now, here's the thing, and some people suggested this to me, is... Brady effectively forces the, uh, Belichick to trade Garoppolo. Belichick wasn't too happy about that. Does he counter that by regaining control of the relationship by cutting access to Alex Guerrero? And there, more than one person suggested in, inside the organization thought that was the case. Mm. So, listen, and, and so who has control now? Brady exercised control. He was so angry about not only the Guerrero situation and team access being cut to him, but also the benching of Malcolm Butler in the Super Bowl, yep. that... As you know, Dan, there are 32 starting quarterbacks in the NFL. 31 showed up for voluntary offseason workouts. One did not. That was Tom Brady. So he, re- he regained control. Belichick wow. takes control again back from Brady when Brady reports for duty for mandatory sessions. So right now, I mean, Belichick has the player. The player is playing effectively for him, so he is the one back in control. It's really interesting when you say that Gronk credited the work with Guerrero for that catch and, you know, just speaking of stretching out or flexibility, there's, of course, the famous Edelman catch in, in the Super Bowl we came back in, you know, where <laughs> right. he was, his hands were above the grass barely and they yeah. called it a catch. Um, but if we, if we look at sort of the public image of the TB12 method, which obviously is based in the Guerrero stuff, but, but I'm talking about, you know, he comes out with the book and there's some weird stuff in the book and sites like Deadspin really picked that apart. And a lot of people out there just say, you know, his doctor's a quack, not Dr. Trainer. The book is ridiculous. All this, the, the TB12 method, it's all, you know, witchcraft. 
But then the retort to that is, but look at him. I mean, he's its most prominent right. you know, example, and he's a huge success story. What do you think about that? I mean, does that in any way hurt his image and his reputation, the idea that he's he sort of, to, to a lot of fans, but I also think it's usually Patriots haters, you know, big coincidence, he looks to them like he's kind of peddling this hoaxy, cheap thing. <laughs> it's like to Tom Cruise, I guess, in a sense. And some or Russell can... Wilson's juice water, whatever that was. Yeah. Uh, to, it, it's interesting that Tom Brady, of all people, put his money on this wildly imperfect horse in Guerrero, right? A guy who was sanctioned by a federal regulatory agency. and so, But it, it has worked. And someone very close to Brady said, you could say whatever you want about Alex Guerrero. You look at his past. It is checkered. There's no question about it. But he knows how to manipulate the human body. And what he's done for Brady and keeping him on the field, you can't argue against that. So I think that's why Belichick has has basically allowed it to continue. Again, he's the one who allowed Guerrero to have access to the team and the facility to begin with. And then he just thought, I've got to rein this in. But uh, I think most people in New England don't care, obviously, because yeah. Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. Right. People around the country who are football fans who are vaguely aware of the relationship, and they, they do think it's weird, and that Brady maybe has gotten to that point where Tom Cruise jumping on the couch with Oprah, like he, he's become that kind of figure. If I'm a Patriots fan, I just don't care what the rest of America thinks about him. All I care about is he continues to, to win at a very high level. Uh, I think Tom Brady seems to me to be a really good father, uh, a good human being, and a guy who does need some love and affection and warmth that he doesn't get from Belichick, which is why he has this great relationship with Robert Kraft. That's where, he, that, that's where the transformational relationship is in the organization. Yeah, I actually think that Brady quite recently has become more real for people. Uh, now, maybe people would say, well, that's all manufactured, but you notice he joined Instagram, he starts doing these personalized things. Of course, that's a whole social media team doing it. But last season, he had a thing where he'd post on Facebook faux news headlines. I'm sure you saw it right. for every win. The TB it, Times. Exactly. Most, right? And now this year, the, the replacement for that clearly is he does a selfie video right after the game where he says, good win, good team win. Now we're 7-3. and three. We want to get to 8-3. and three. Yeah, baby. And then it cuts to rap music playing with a highlight light clip and the score and that's like sort of sort of the replacement and uh so clearly at some point someone said to him plus there was the facebook watch show right which i thought was interesting about um tom versus time and that did very well and i actually thought it was really well produced uh that was uh, deepak chopra's son there were some shots of belichick in, in, yes. in those uh, but yes but i'll say this about but he's working on his image i think he's he wants to be more real and approachable no yeah and i think if you look at the videos on patriots.com post-game locker room cel- celebratory videos yeah, i like those too he yells out those are very good i think fans love that i i, I love watching it and frankly for the book it helped me just to see the, yep. <laughs> a lot of times Slater saying, how do we feel exactly. about being 72 oh yeah but just to see Belichick and how he dressed the team after wins and sort of that deadpan delivery. But Brady, uh, in this most recent victory over Green Bay, after that on the video, he yells out to uh, Patterson, you know, the converted running back, and just what a great job he was doing. And so the one thing about Tom Brady I think people should know is, and he's been like this for years, I would talk to guys who are at the bottom of the roster. One guy named uh, Scott Farley who played at Williams Division Three football. Good player, was in their camp for a little while. And he said, one time I was in the camp for like two days. I'm a Division Three player. And I'm walking down toward the cafeteria, and Tom Brady walks by me and says, hey, Scott, how's it going? For that guy to know my name is so empowering. Mm. And I know that Brady goes out of his way, and, and this is part of the whole Belichick program and system, to understand and respect and know every single person in the building. 
Brady is was always great at empowering lesser lights on the roster, and I think that says a lot about him as a person too. Interesting. When we look at how good the Patriots have been for so long, and then you look over to sport like baseball, you know, there's been some great parody in pro baseball recently. You know, the Cubs got their their first win in you know 108 years. The Astros won. Uh, then this year, the Sox again, but with a completely new kind of very likable squad, I think, unless you're a Yankees fan and hate them. Um, but there's been good parody, whereas in the NFL, in the AFC, it's just been all Patriots. <laughs> and people complain about that. Is it actually a problem for the NFL? It becomes kind of boring if you're from another city. Even if you're not from a city where you know, you're in the AFC East and it's the Pats who always kill you. It's not Buffalo. But just any other city where your team hasn't been good for so long. And every year the Patriots are in the Super Bowl or at least in the AFC Championship. I really don't think it's a problem for the NFL. I think it's actually easier in baseball to, to remain competitive. There's no salary cap. You can pay the tax and go out and spend a lot on free agency and get back in it pretty quickly. In the NFL, I think that uh, when you look at what Belichick has done, the salary cap, free agency, the draft, and the schedule are all designed to prevent you from having a dynasty, to drag you from the top back at least to the middle, if not the bottom, and to elevate the bottom feeders. That's what the NFL system is based on that. So the fact that Dave successfully defied that since uh, going back to 2001 is, is amazing, and I think it is such a exception to the rule that I don't really think the NFL has a problem. The problem is... Well, the problem is an AFC East problem to an extent because the Patriots' record outside the AFC East is just as good as it is inside that division. But it is a fact that the Jets, Bills, and Dolphins have failed to develop a franchise quarterback to compete with Brady yeah. since 2001. Chad Pennington was probably the closest to that, but he got hurt. Uh, yeah. Right, no, because there was a point where people were comparing him to young Joe Montana, and, and it's easily forgotten now, but he got hurt. He was pretty good. And I'm not saying he was Tom Brady, but he was at least going to be competition for Brady. And in that division, we've not seen a viable quarterback. And frankly, that's been a big part of the problem. Had the Miami Dolphins with Nick Saban in, after 2006 signed Drew Brees. Okay, they, they seriously considered signing him. Yeah, they had the chance. Yeah. You could have had Saban and Brees together in the AFC East with Belichick and Brady for the last 11 years. Now, uh-huh. that would have changed everything, I think, or changed a lot. And I don't think people would be talking about, well, how can we deal with the Patriot dynasty? It's getting boring. What can the NFL do about it? I actually think parity is still very much in play in the NFL. The problem is the AFC East not developing a quarterback, and Belichick and Brady just happen to be the greatest of all time at what they do coming together. Let's segue, uh, just to wrap up here, a few questions about the NFL sort of on a macro level. Uh, when you look at the business of the NFL, you know one interesting part of this, and, and you got into little granular things like this in researching this book. Uh, the NFL, in many ways, compared to the other pro U.S. sports leagues, is so protective, restrictive. You know, I wrote a lot about when the social media policy was so draconian two seasons ago, even players were complaining about it. You know, even even NFL teams, they're only allowed, like, a certain number of tweets and Instagram posts in the in-game window. <laughs> and people talk about how the NBA is rising fast, you know, still smaller than the NFL, but rising faster than any of the other pro sports in popularity and growth. And that's because people say they credit Commissioner Adam Silver. Right. They say so progressive, and he encourages speaking out. And they say it's because the players are really big personalities off the court. They, they're big on social media. You know, NBA Twitter is this big world. The NFL doesn't have that. Is that something you look at, think about? The Patriots are a good example where they're so sort of 
tight-lipped and and walls down. It's very much like the Tiger Woods media strategy before the Tiger Woods scandal of 09, right. where you know Mark Steinberg kept him behind a wall. Uh, he didn't really do much, and so there was a mystique there. But is that something you think about? Is that something do you expect the NFL to ever change, and is that directly from Goodell mostly? I think so. I think the difference between Goodell and Adam Silver and the way they're perceived publicly is night and day, right? One thing about the Patriots, and it starts at the top with Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick has won five championships. His, his net worth is about $35 million, okay, which is really low for a guy who's won five championships and is the most prominent figure, arguably, in the most watched TV drama in America on a yearly <laughs> basis, right? Every year, what, the top 20 TV shows in the country, 17 of them are NFL games, and he's the most prominent figure. His net worth is $35 million. Why? Because he, he has left tens upon tens of millions of dollars on the table by never doing any endorsement deals. Right. And, and I just think the- It's the, not like Bill Cowher. <laughs> no, or John Madden, right? John Madden yeah. has won one Super Bowl. Bill has five. Now he was a popular broadcaster. John Madden's net worth is $200 million off that video game empire. If he decided, Belichick, to uh, do the same thing, his net worth would be over $100 million, I think, pretty easily. So I think the reason he doesn't do it is because he doesn't believe in putting himself above- the team, that everything is about team-centric values that he instills in those players, including Brady, every single day. So that's why he doesn't do that. So here you have the most successful franchise who operates the way you just described, and the NFL seems to be more committed to that. The NBA is more about, hey, uh, it's about the individual superstars. It's about LeBron James, and it's going to be about Zion Williamson when he comes into the league. And and so I think, frankly, uh, one of the reasons why you see no protests or you didn't see it last year with NBA players is because they feel like they have a real partnership with the league. And there's a rule in the NBA. You have to stand for the national anthem. There, that rule did not exist in the NFL, and yet the NFL had the uh, problem with uh, player protests that the uh, NBA and Adam Silver did not. Um, we, we haven't really seen that this year. But I think that the partnership that exists, maybe it's an unwritten pact between Adam Silver and the superstar players in the NBA, does not really exist in the NFL. Mm. Being a guy who's watched the NFL for so long for reporting purposes, do you have a take on, on the whole Kaepernick thing? You know, for the most part, as we've talked about the NFL this season, because that kind of scandal is just clearly over and faded, I've been talking about it less, which has been a relief. Like, finally, that's not the story. But since you mentioned the protests, I'd just be curious your take. I think the reason we fight wars is to allow freedom of exp expression, and I've talked to many of the players. Uh, I was, I, I, would I ever take a knee or sit for the national anthem? No, I have not lived in the, the African American experience in this country either, and I, I respect the players who have decided to use the uh, that stage to uh, give voice to the voiceless, and I think that's what a lot of these guys are doing. And I've interviewed them, and many. Uh, Malcolm Jenkins included, had uh, relatives who fought in wars for this country and then came home to a country that didn't fully support uh, those relatives because they were African-American. And so uh, I always felt, listen, I've got in-laws and stuff who are old school and, and said, I'm never going to watch an NFL game again. And they did watch an NFL game yeah, after yeah. that. And so, but I would try to explain, well, you haven't lived their experience. And without doing that, it's hard to understand why I think those protests were not, not only should be allowed, but I, I thought were very important. And so, yeah, I, I, I had a lot of conversations with friends and family members who disagreed with my viewpoint on it. I think Kaepernick clearly has been kept out of the league because of his stance being the first. And I think that there's no question when you look at the all-time interception percentage 
among quarterbacks in the NFL. Aaron Rodgers is one. Kaepernick and Brady are tied for second at 1.8% of their passes have been intercepted. So the guy went to a Super Bowl. He's had some really good numbers. He's beaten Aaron Rodgers twice in the playoffs, right? Aaron Rodgers may be the most talented quarterback ever, and he doesn't have a job. So I think that's not right. I think that is the reason. And so uh, I, I, I was always uh, certainly more than willing to allow players in that moment to express themselves and also understanding that that is the very reason why we fight wars. And everyone would just assume that military uh, people in the military were, were anti-protest. I, I think they got it wrong. I think most of them were actually understanding of their right to do that. You know, the book is called Belichick. There's his face on the cover. We've talked about his coaching and his management style. And yet, he's so unknowable outside of football. I mean, occasionally we get a glimpse. We see a photo of him and Linda, you know, or we see him at a party. Uh, I know you spoke not to Belichick, but to basically everyone around him and close to him for the book. What's your sense of who he is? What's his persona? People think he's so robotic. But, uh, I mean, what's this guy like? Well, a lot of his friends and associates really wish he would show uh, the side they see of him in public. And he, you know, he's 66. If he hasn't done it yet, I don't think he's going <laughs> right, to do it. It's not going to happen. Yeah, they describe a guy who is kind and generous and, and warm and sometimes charming and engaging in social settings. Believe it or not, I think most American football fans would have a hard time believing that human being actually exists. He's created this one-dimensional character that he plays at the podium in his news conferences for strategic reasons, I believe, in, in talking to people. I interviewed 350 people for this book, and that strategy is built around the idea that we are in the business of gathering information, not sharing it, and therefore, when you're asked questions, you give as little information as possible, and he wants his players to follow that lead, and they do. So, uh, but, listen, he's done a lot of, uh, he's a loyal person. He's very loyal to his friends going back to high school, prep school, college. He had a, a college teammate who is fighting cancer. He's a lawyer out in uh, the Seattle area. His name was Bob Heller. And Bob had beaten Bill out for the starting center job at Wesleyan University in Connecticut. And yet, uh, while he was going through this struggle, Bill was campaigning to get him in the school's athletic hall of fame. The guy who denied him an opportunity to play college football basically took his job away. So I think that that's one example. Another is his college lacrosse coach, Terry Jackson. Effectively, his wife was dying of cancer, and he contacted Bill and said on her bucket list is to finally attend a Super Bowl. So Belichick made that happen, spent a lot of time with her, and then she did die like three months later. Wow. So he does a lot of things like that, which you would say, well, what decent human being wouldn't do that? But I, I still think there are a lot of people around the country who would be surprised that uh, Belichick would. And one other thing, he had a playoff game a couple of years ago against Houston, and they were it was a dogfight in the first half. At halftime... It was touch and go as to whether or not they were going to win that game. Brian Flores, who's now his de facto defensive coordinator, had his pregnant wife in the stands and her water broke, and she was being raced to the hospital in an ambulance. She called Brian on the cell phone at halftime and said, I think I'm going to have the baby. So he goes to Belichick, well, what should I do? And Bill said, leave. Go be with your wife if you have to. And as it turns out, she called back and said, I've stabilized and the baby's not coming till tomorrow, so you can stay for the second half. They end up winning the game. But, again, I think people might be surprised that a very important member of Bill's staff was allowed yeah. to leave at halftime to be with his wife in yes. a playoff game. Yes. Uh, last question, Ian. I, I love having in authors of new sports-related books, so I'm going to put you on the spot. I want to ask you, what are some of your favorite sports books, either nonfiction, recent, old, or fiction, classic sports novels, some of your favorites? Well, uh, Season on the Brink, going way back with John Feinstein, uh, is, is a classic, and, and it really created the, the genre of, of spending a year with right. a person or a team. And, and so uh, Moneyball, of course, of Michael Lewis, and... 
so those two really uh, come to mind. I think that uh, when I think of just books in general, really going back to uh, Brideshead Revisited, uh, hmm. being raised a, a Roman Catholic, that had a, an impact on me in, uh, in high school. And so whenever I'm asked that question, for some reason that book always pops into my head. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think, I mean, there, there are so many authors now I really look at as role models. Jeff Perlman is another one who, who just, you had him on, I believe, mm -hmm. and a terrific USFL book. And Feinstein is a guy, he's got another book coming out uh, on the quarterback position. I've really learned a lot just watching him and reading his books. And, of course, the great David Halberstam. Yep. And, and breaks some, of the game. I breaks just of the game. And, and even his books on, on Vietnam and... And so, and of course, he wrote a book on Belichick, Belichick. Uh, back in 04. The, the Education, Education of, of a Coach. coach correct. Yeah. And so, clearly, I learned a lot from him there. And so, those are the authors I, I really look... I, I really gravitate toward, when we're talking particularly about sports books, those who really do a tremendous amount of reporting, hundreds of interviews. And to me, it's really more about the information than it is the writing. And so, I think Feinstein and Perlman, they're both great writers... But they're real reporters, and those are the people I really respect the most. It's funny. This podcast is called Sportsbook, and originally the idea was it's sort of a winking joke referring to gambling and sports betting, because I cover <laughs> sports betting. But recently it's become so many authors that it's like, it's also sports books. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. All right, Ian, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate that it. That is Ian O'Connor. He's the author of a big new book on Belichick. It's a doorstop, but it's really interesting and worth your time. And uh, you can find him on Twitter. I think it's Ian underscore O'Connor. Correct. Okay. No apostrophe. Okay. Good stuff. And Yahoo Finance Sportsbook comes out every Thursday morning. As you know by now, you can remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us, and we will see you next Thursday. Goodbye. <laughs>